Chapter Six of Voltaire and the French Enlightenment by Will Durant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter Six, Fernet Candide. Les Delices had been a temporary home, a centre from which Voltaire might prospect to find a shelter of more permanence. He found it in 1758 at Fernet, just inside the Swiss line near France here he would be secure from the french power and yet near to french refuge if the swiss government should trouble him this last change ended his vandejahre these fitful runnings to and fro had not been all the result of his nervous restlessness they had reflected too his ubiquitous insecurity from persecution only at sixty-four did he find a house that could be also his home there is a passage at the end of one of his tales, The Travels of Scarmentado, which almost applies to its author. As I had now seen all that was rare or beautiful on earth, I resolved for the future to see nothing but my own home. I took a wife, and soon suspected that she deceived me. But notwithstanding this doubt, I still found that of all conditions of life this was much the happiest. He had no wife, but he had a niece, which is better for a man of genius. We never hear of his wishing to be in Paris. There can be no doubt that this wise exile prolonged his days. He was happy in his garden, planting fruit trees which he did not expect to see flourish in his lifetime. When an admirer praised the work he had done for posterity, he answered, Yes, I have planted four thousand trees. He had a kind word for everybody, but could be forced to sharper speech. One day he asked a visitor whence he came. From Mr. Hollers. He is a great man, said Voltaire, a great poet, a great naturalist, a great philosopher, almost a universal genius. What you say, sir, is the more admirable, as Mr. Holler does not do you the same justice. Ah, said Voltaire, perhaps we are both mistaken. Fernet now became the intellectual capital of the world. Every learned man or enlightened ruler of the day paid his court, either in person or by correspondence. Here came sceptical priests, liberal aristocrats, and learned ladies. Here came Gibbon and Boswell from England. Here came D'Alembert, Helvetius, and the other rebels of the Enlightenment, and countless others. At last, the entertainment of this endless stream of visitors proved too expensive even for Voltaire. He complained that he was becoming the hotel-keeper for all Europe. To one acquaintance who announced that he had come to stay for six weeks, Voltaire said, What is the difference between you and Don Quixote? He mistook inns for chateaux, and you mistake this chateau for an inn. God preserve me from my friends, he concluded. I will take care of my enemies myself. Add to this perpetual hospitality the largest correspondence the world has ever seen and the most brilliant. Letters came from all sorts and conditions of men. A burgomaster wrote from Germany asking, in confidence, whether there is a God or not, and begging Voltaire to answer by return post. Gustavus III of Sweden was elated by the thought that Voltaire sometimes glanced at the north, 
and told them that this was their greatest encouragement to do their best up there christian the seventh of denmark apologized for not establishing at once all reforms catherine the second of russia sent him beautiful presents wrote frequently and hoped he would not consider her importunate even frederick after a year of doldrums returned to the fold and resumed his correspondence with the king of ferney you have done me great wrongs he wrote i have forgiven them all i even wish to forget them but if you had not had to do with a madman in love with your noble genius you would not have gotten off so well do you want sweet things very well i will tell you some truths i esteem in you the finest genius that the ages have borne i admire your poetry i love your prose never has an author before you had a tact so keen a taste so sure and delicate you are charming in conversation you know how to amuse and instruct at the same time you are the most seductive being that i know capable of making yourself loved by all the world when you choose you have such graces of mind that you can offend and yet at the same time deserve the indulgence of those who know you in short you would be perfect if you were not a man who would have expected so gay a host to become the exponent of pessimism in youth as a reveller in paris's salon he had seen the sunnier side of life despite the bastille and yet even in those careless days he had rebelled against the unnatural optimism to which leibnitz had given currency to an ardent young man who had attacked him in print and had contended with leibnitz that this is the best of all possible worlds voltaire wrote i am pleased to hear sir that you have written a little book against me you do me too much honour when you have shown in verse or otherwise why so many men cut their throats in the best of all possible worlds i shall be exceedingly obliged to you i await your arguments your verses and your abuse and assure you from the bottom of my heart that neither of us knows anything about the matter i have the honour to be and etc persecution and disillusionment had worn down his faith in life and his experiences at berlin and frankfurt had taken the edge from his hope but both faith and hope suffered most when in november seventeen fifty five came the news of the awful earthquake at lisbon in which thirty thousand people had been killed the quake had come on all saints day the churches had been crowded with worshippers and death finding its enemies in close formation had reaped a rich harvest voltaire was shocked into seriousness and raged when he heard that the french clergy were explaining the disaster as a punishment for the sins of the people of lisbon he broke forth in a passionate poem in which he gave vigorous expression to the old dilemma either god can prevent evil and he will not or he wishes to prevent it and he cannot he was not satisfied with spinoza's answer that good and evil are human terms inapplicable to the universe and that our tragedies are trivial things in the perspective of eternity i am a puny part of the great whole yes but all animals condemned to live all sentient things born by the same stern law 
suffer like me and like me also die the vulture fastens on his timid prey and stabs with bloody beak the quivering limbs all's well it seems for it but in a while an eagle tears the vulture into shreds the eagle is transfixed by shafts of man the man prone in the dust of battlefields mingling his blood with dying fellow-men becomes in turn the food of ravenous birds thus the whole world and every member groans all born for torment and for mutual death and o'er this ghastly chaos you would say the ills of each make up the good of all what blessedness and as with quaking voice mortal and pitiful ye cry all's well the universe belies you and your heart refutes a hundred times your mind's conceit what is the verdict of the vastest mind silence the book of fate is closed to us man is a stranger to his own research he knows not whence he comes nor whither goes tormented atoms in a bed of mud devoured by death a mockery of fate but thinking atoms whose far-seeing eyes guided by thought have measured the faint stars our being mingles with the infinite ourselves we never see or come to know this world this theatre of pride and wrong swarms with sick fools who talk of happiness once did i sing in less lugubrious tone the sunny ways of pleasure's genial rule the times have changed and taught by growing age and sharing of the frailty of mankind seeking a light amid the deepening gloom i can but suffer and will not repine a few months later the seven years war broke out voltaire looked upon it as madness and suicide the devastation of europe to settle whether england or france should win a few acres of snow in canada on the top of this came a public reply by jean-jacques rousseau to the poem on lisbon man himself was to be blamed for the disaster said rousseau if we lived out in the fields and not in the towns we should not be killed on so large a scale if we lived under the sky and not in houses houses would not fall upon us voltaire was amazed at the popularity won by this profound theodicy and angry that his name should be dragged into the dust by such a quixote he turned upon rousseau that most terrible of all the intellectual weapons ever wielded by man the mockery of voltaire in three days in seventeen fifty one he wrote candide never was pessimism so gaily argued never was man made to laugh so heartily while learning that this is a world of woe and seldom has a story been told with such simple and hidden art it is pure narrative and dialogue no descriptions padded out and the action is riotously rapid in voltaire's fingers says anatole france the pen runs and laughs it is perhaps the finest short story in all literature candide as his name indicates is a simple and honest lad son of the great baron Tondertendrucht of westphalia and pupil of the learned pangloss pangloss was a professor of meta 
physico-theologico-cosmonogology. It is demonstrable, said he, that all is necessarily for the best end. Observe that the nose has been formed to bear spectacles. Legs were visibly designed for stockings. Stones were designed to construct castles. Pigs were made so that we might have pork all the year round. Consequently, they who assert that all is well have said a foolish thing. They should have said, all is for the best. While Pangloss is discoursing, the castle is attacked by the Bulgarian army, and Candide is captured and turned into a soldier. He was made to wheel about to the right and to the left, to draw his rammer, to return his rammer, to present, to fire, to march. He resolved one fine day in spring to go for a walk, marching straight before him, believing that it was a privilege of the human as well as the animal species to make use of their legs as they pleased. He had advanced two leagues when he was overtaken by four heroes six feet tall, who bound him and carried him to a dungeon. He was asked which he would like the best, to be whipped six and thirty times through all the regiment, or to receive at once two balls of lead in his brain. He vainly said that human will is free, and that he chose neither the one nor the other. He was forced to make a choice. He determined, in virtue of that gift of God called liberty, to run the gauntlet six and thirty times. He bore this twice. Candide escapes, takes passage to Lisbon, and on board ship meets Professor Pangloss, who tells how the baron and baroness were murdered and the castle destroyed. All this, he concludes, was indispensable, for private misfortunes make the general good, so that the more private misfortunes there are, the greater is the general good. They arrive in Lisbon just in time to be caught in the earthquake. After it is over, they tell each other their adventures and sufferings, whereupon an old servant assures them that their misfortunes are as nothing compared with her own. A hundred times I was on the point of killing myself, but I loved life. This ridiculous foible is perhaps one of our most fatal characteristics, for is there anything more absurd than to wish to carry continually a burden which one can always throw down? Or, as another character expresses it, all things considered, the life of a gondolier is preferable to that of a doge, but I believe the difference is so trifling that it is not worth the trouble of examining. Candide, fleeing from the Inquisition, goes to Paraguay. There the Jesuit fathers possess all and the people nothing. It is a masterpiece of reason and justice. In a Dutch colony he comes upon a negro with one hand, one leg, and a rag for clothing. When we work at the sugar canes, the slave explains, and the mill snatches hold of a finger, they cut off a hand. And when we try to run away, they cut off a leg. This is the price at which you eat sugar in Europe. Candide finds much loose gold in the unexplored interior. He returns to the coast and hires a vessel to take him to France, but the skipper sails off with the gold and leaves Candide philosophizing on the wharf. With what little remains to him, Candide purchases a passage on a ship bound for Bordeaux, and on board strikes up a conversation with an old sage, Martin. Do you believe, said Candide, that men have always massacred one another as they do today? 
that they have always been liars cheats traitors ingrates brigands idiots thieves scoundrels gluttons drunkards misers envious ambitious bloody-minded calumniators debauchees fanatics hypocrites and fools do you believe said martin that hawks have always eaten pigeons when they have found them without doubt said candide well then said martin if hawks have always had the same character why should you imagine that men may have changed theirs oh said candide there is a vast deal of difference for free will and reasoning thus they arrived at bordeaux we cannot follow candide through the rest of his adventures which form a rollicking commentary on the difficulties of medieval theology and leibnizian optimism after suffering a variety of evils among a variety of men candide settles down as a farmer in turkey and the story ends with a final dialogue between master and pupil pangloss sometimes said to candide there is a concatenation of events in this best of all possible worlds for if you had not been kicked out of a magnificent castle if you had not been put into the inquisition if you had not walked over america and if you had not lost all your gold you would not be here eating preserved citrons and pistachio nuts all that is very well answered candide but let us cultivate our garden End of chapter six